Hey guys, it's Sophia Amoruso with another episode of Girl Boss Radio. Before we get started, I just want to mention there's going to be a bonus episode in partnership with Secret that is interviews of our incredible talent speakers inspiring women from the Girl Boss Rally last weekend, exclusive to you on Girl Boss Radio. So make sure you subscribe and turn on notifications so that you are notified when it happens. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Rachel attended NYU's Tisch School of the Arts in New York City for theater. After graduating from NYU in 2009 with a BFA in drama, Rachel continued to study improv and sketch comedy at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York City. During this time, she also worked as an intern for Saturday Night Live. In 2010, Rachel released her first music video on YouTube called Fuck Me Ray Bradbury, which went viral and was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form. The goal was just to kind of build my comedy brand, but this video went pretty viral and it got me the notice of agents and managers. She went on to work as a TV writer in Los Angeles where she continued to make music videos and eventually caught the eye of Rachel's now crazy ex-girlfriend co-creator, Aline Brosh McKenna. Rachel now serves as a writer, producer, and actress on Crazy X and has won both a Golden Globe and a Critics' Choice Award. She's also written music for the popular CW shows The Flash and Supergirl with Oscar award-winning musical duo Pasek and Paul. I know for me with my career and my art and stuff, for a long time I was motivated by this fear of being an old lady on my deathbed and being like, I never did the thing, you know? Today, Rachel is here to talk about her latest film, Most Likely to Murder, which is, surprise, a comedy. How to deal with internet trolls. And the worst thing about being shamed on the internet is a lot of times when it happens to various people, it's not for something you can a thousand percent stand behind. It's for something silly that you just kind of did or said or it's the stuff that's an afterthought. And her advice for fellow female creators out there. But first, Maggie and I are going to chat all about what's going down here at the Girl Boss office this week. Maggie, mm. we just had the Girl Boss rally. Oh, boy. LA. How, I mean. What a true treat. It, a true treat? Yeah. A true treat. That's like our next business. We're going to make consumer packaged goods called true treats. <laughs> I love that. Sell them to Starbucks. <laughs> what was your favorite moment? Oh, my goodness. It's so hard because there were so many probably meeting a bunch of the ladies attending they all have some side hustle business of their own that is extremely inspiring i um literally came away from the day thinking i'm gonna start a business and then i realized uh you have to think of an idea first (laughs) (laughs) that's what we're here for 
What about you? As much as I want to say, the speakers are so amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved our speakers. Bosma from Uber, Gwyneth. Like, oh my God. Such great people, Lizzie Velasquez. But it's the group. It's the women who attend the rally that make mm-hmm. it. It's not us who make it. A bunch of people on a stage and like 20 of our employees like running around trying to make it. Like, that's not interesting. What's mm-hmm. interesting is the energy that's brought into the, a room by that many women who right. are like stoked and invested in their own futures and taking action improving themselves right. like you can't you can't like you can't recreate it except we do it twice a year <laughs> in LA and New York so but for different groups yeah <laughs> so what's going on now that the rally's over right. sadly mm-hmm. what's happening here at the girl boss HQ now that we're simmering down from our rally high there's S- now that we're Ooh, deflating take it off the, the burner um, <laughs> I think it's important to note the recovery and rejuvenation that you need to take after big stressful moments or time where you're really, really wrapped in a lot of work. One of our writers, Teresa, wrote a piece called How to Reboot Your Brain When It's Fried, which I thought was amazing post-rally. You can love your job. You can, you know, you can be the one that wants to do the work, but you'll still feel that fried energy or burnt out mentality and you definitely don't want that Mm -hmm. because then you start to despise whatever you're doing so it's important before you hit that moment to um rebuild repair yeah and just take a little time to self-care i just become a monster like everybody's like an enemy and against me and if i drop something it's like the universe like punching me it's like everything is like so exacerbated when I'm tired and -hmm. and fried, and it's easy to get tired and fried in today's always-on world. Mm -hmm. What are some other ways that we can unfry our minds? Yeah, so um, a good way to heal and recharge. Stop drinking all the caffeine. I know when you're you're hitting the books. Uh Oh, got to put my coffee down. As you're drinking it. Um, We want to reach for the caffeine, but it's actually better to just straight hydrate with H2O. That's water, right? H2O stands for water. Okay. That liquid good. Learn gold. something every day. <laughs> Another thing I liked is make yourself unavailable. So sometimes people don't realize how much you're doing, what's on your plate. So put time on your calendar that's like blocked off for you to just. You're get not a vending or- machine. Like mm-hmm. a text comes in. Like that's what my boyfriend said. I was like, Ooh. you don't write people back like on text. Like your friends, they like <laughs> want to hang out with you. And he's like, I'm not a vending machine. Like you don't just Ooh. like put a coin in and I come out. Like, I like that. I'm a person and I have a life. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Yeah, people forget that you actually need time to either do things for yourself to accomplish what's what's on your plate um, personally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think people just forget. So if you make it more transparent or communicate yeah. that by putting it on your calendar. Trust your intuition, easier. though. Like mm-hmm. maybe what you do need is to connect with a friend and get away from work and talk about your personal life or see your mom, you know. Exactly. Your parents. Hop on a quick call. Go to the Mm -hmm. Korean spa and spend 20 bucks to just like, you know, literally decompress. Right. Get that croissant. Mm, Get the croissant. Eat it in the sauna. (laughs) Ooh, (laughs) buttery. Uh, The other thing I really, really like too, this this is particularly probably important for me it's a brain dump sometimes I have a thousand things in my head and the to-do list isn't enough I write down three things and then all of a sudden that becomes a thousand and I just don't know how to articulate it or Mm -hmm. process it because it's all in my brain and jumbled I have to do that before Mm -hmm. I go to sleep sometimes because I like fall asleep like literally like oh yeah that thing oh yeah someone said trampolines help 
you like, you know, cleanse your lymphatic system. Should I get a trampoline? <laughs> and it's like, wait, you're going to sleep and you're going through like a list. Mm-hmm. So actually pulling out a pen and removing that stuff from your head, having it be stored somewhere other than your head. Exactly. It's a really good thing to do. And then do. going back to it and being like, okay, let me actually focus 10 minutes on one of these things to cross it off. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, You'll never get anything done. Multitasking. Your brain will is just keep friend. filling yeah. up, and then you'll lose your list, and you'll be super pissed. <laughs> I thought you said lose your leg. I was like, oh, oh god, no, we don't like that. <laughs> we don't want that. And then the last thing, but was it's okay. If just it happens. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> get up and get moving. You know, just take a walk or go outside, earth yourself. You know, like oh, grounding. Yeah, or earthing, earthing, earthing. Is yes. that what it is? Mm-hmm. Maggie likes. To make goop. up. Maggie's goopy. I like goop and I like making up my own terms. <laughs> Earth yourself. <laughs> that just means to put your feet in the dirt pretty much. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just and it's a real thing. You know, they also say that holding your food with your hands like a burrito or Ethiopian food like gives you a different connection to your food. Maybe it's more satisfying. Like eating. Mm, or you're more satiated. satisfying but you're like literally connected to your food. Mm. Like you feel the warmth in your hand. You put it in your mouth and it's like, you're, yeah, you're not oh. eating your food with like foreign objects. You're yeah. like. You're 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 carrying your nutrients like into your own mouth. Like okay. there's there's some like yeah. juju that I think is increased yeah, you're not, when like, you it when you eat a burrito. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to read more about this, check out Teresa's story at girlboss.com and type in brain fry in the search box. Now get ready to hear from actress, writer, producer, Rachel Bloom. You grew up not too far from here. Yeah, I grew up uh, about 45 minutes to an hour away in Manhattan Beach. By the beach. Cool. Yes. How was that? That sounds like a dreamy... I've never heard of anyone growing up in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, it was beautiful. And I think it's because a lot of people who grew up there stay there. Yeah. At least the people I know, you know, they're kind of content to just stay there. I, I would say that I feel like the there's a lot of motivation that you need to like get into show business. You know, you you feel like you don't belong somewhere, you want your life to be better. And when you grow up by the beach, there is a certain lovely complacency, I think. Uh-huh. And I definitely felt that growing up and I was a weird kid. I was made fun of a lot. I didn't really fit in. We're Jews, which there were Jews in Manhattan Beach, but and this is not a religious comment. It's more of a cultural je ne sais quoi comment. There weren't like as many Jewy Jews, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I mean, oh, I love cultural je ne sais quoi. Cultural that is such a like quoi. padded way of like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, great. I, and, and I think, look, and I think maybe I'm attributing Judaism to just some of the quirkiness of me and the quirkiness of my family. But like the perfect example is like I everyone around me always went to the beach. My parents didn't want me going to the beach because of skin cancer. So like wow. that's a perfect, just just base, just example slightly of, less loose version. Like you know, pe- you think people who live on the beach are just like their parents are like, go go play, go ride your bike down the beach, and like, you're just like, yeah. Well, my parents get Mexican food. My mother asks the waiter like, how exactly spicy is every dish? I'm looking for a dish that isn't spicy. Basically, my parents would fit in perfectly on these coast. Mm-hmm. They're New Yorkers essentially. I mean, they they eat late, they go to theater all the time, oh, wow. but they live. By the beach. Do they, do they still? Uh, I mean, they live like a mile away from the beach. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. So it's just a kind of different culture. And I always felt like I wanted to be in New York. My grandpa was in New York. You know, my dad's from Boston. And so I just always really felt like I belong there. 
And then I moved to New York and I was like, yeah, I was right. <laughs> this is where I belong. Yeah. And you live in New York now? No, no you live, live in L.A. Mm -hmm. So you moved to New York to pursue comedy? I moved to New York. I majored in musical theater at NYU. NYU drama is broken into different studios. And I studied at the musical theater studio. Then I transferred to experimental theater. Oh, wow. But I wanted to be on Broadway. Is that still something that you want to do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have this musical television show, you know. Yeah, yeah. And... There, there's a lot of overlap between my love of theater and musicals with comedy, and so it's absolutely a goal. Rachel and I related on the fact that we're both only children. She talked about why growing up as an only child helped her become the creative person she is today and how it has affected the way she views the world. Your sense of reality is a little distorted because you don't have a sibling to check in with about your parents and your family. You're the only one kind of taking in any sort of dynamic in your family. And so there's a part of you that thinks, is this just me? Am I perceiving things weirdly? What's true? What's not true? There's a little bit of like what's real and what's not real. Yeah. And that's compounded by the fact you're alone a lot. And I mean, I had a lot of imaginary friends. I had a really active imagination. And then you also don't have a sibling to call you out on your shit. You don't have a sibling to be like, don't wear that. Don't say that. <laughs> and as a result, I am a very kind of still weird, whimsical person in a way that, I think really yeah. I really like and I think makes people yeah. like me but it it's weird I mean the only children I know they're either incredibly weird or incredibly awesome or like a mix of the two it's mm -hmm. a it's an interesting existence it is yeah I feel like it gave me my parents have said like well you're like we could have had three kids but like you you're all of them <laughs> like mm -hmm. You know, because you have like so much time to yourself and can live in your own world and spend so much time alone in the backseat of a car. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I got falling asleep in the backseat of a car. I mean, you have the whole backseat to yourself. Yeah. Which is great. But the other thing is you're kind of, you, it kind of feels like you're your parents, like idiot sidekick. Kind of. Like, yeah. I would just get dragged to like whatever their errand they wanted to run. Yeah. Like I would get dragged to furniture. My mom went on a real uh, like chair buying kick in the mid 90s. So I would get dragged every weekend oh, to no. furniture stores. Oh no. But Ethan then, Allen. like, we're, because my family is just, we're just generally weird people and kind of whimsical people. And I grew up with a year long past at Disneyland. So that was awesome. So, oh, like, wow. I remember in third grade, I'd be done with whatever homework I had because I was eight or nine. And we'd go to Disneyland for a couple hours. It was fucking awesome. That's one of the benefits of living in like uh, like the OC in particular, but yeah, like Southern California. Did you grow up in Orange County? No, I grew I grew up in San Diego till I was seven, and we went to we went to Disneyland a lot. Yeah. and then I lived up in Northern California and didn't go a lot after that. Yeah, there's like a Great America or something up there. Oh yeah, of course. So, what was your first job before we get into school? Like, did you have any jobs in high school? Did you have jobs before college or during yeah, college? Yeah, I was a I was a hostess at this very popular restaurant in Manhattan Beach called Uncle Bill's Pancake House. That was my first job. Amazing. It How was, long did that last? Uh, like, I worked there for I worked there actually even a little bit into college when I came back. So I worked there for about a year and a half, two years. Wow. Every every weekend, my senior year of high school, and you were a server. Hostess. Hostess. I sat people. Okay. Yeah, that's a job I think I could do. Serving is like, I don't know if my memory's ever been good enough to remember catch up. Later I worked as a server and I would wake up, not there, but another place, and I would, I would um, go to, be going, before going to bed at night, be like, I never got that guy's pepper. You remember shit that you forget. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. I mean, I think we all take our work home with us when we care. Sure. No matter what we're doing. Sure. And I'm a people pleaser, so I definitely... 
cared more than other people. So then you moved to New York. What age, how old did you, were you when you moved to New York? You went to college. Yeah. It was like college age. I was 18. Right. And did you, you graduated. Mm-hmm. So aside from like the amazing training that uh, musical theater at NYU, I'm sure. Oh, amazing-ish. Let's not. Amazing-ish? Let's not. It was a flawed program. Okay. There were too many people. There were 80 kids in my freshman class, which is way too many people. I'll never forget my sophomore year getting, a, I had a meeting with my dance teachers because, you know, it's musical theater subjects, but you're kind of graded as if it's, you know, math or history. And my, my dance teachers were like, we're moving you up a tap level, but down a ballet level or whatever. And, and, and they said, and you're, you know, you're very quiet and you work very hard. And I went, I'm the director of the school sketch comedy group. They go, oh my God, we didn't know that good for you. There was just a general feeling of, oh, you don't, I mean, there were some great parts, but there were definitely a feeling of feeling like they didn't care who I actually was, but then also not knowing what I wanted. I think it worked both ways. Yeah. Were you someone who didn't have a lot of respect for authority growing up or just were like, because for me, that's, I mean, I didn't finish college, but part of it was, okay, these people like don't get it and don't get my ambitions or don't understand like why I'm curious about these things because it's not the thing that they're trying to teach me. But then there's also... The fact that, like, adults, I mean, even when you're in your late teens, early 20s, you see these people around you who are, like, have these positions of, like, power and authority and know more and are the ones that face you and when and talk to you and you sit down. I don't know. Sometimes it's, like, not, not everybody deserves that role. Well, I agree I with that. I always craved uh, approval of authority figures. That's a thing. I'm a, I'm a kind of chronic people pleaser. But at the same time... It, when I knew someone was not qualified for a position, it was it was very hard to deal with because I craved their approval, but but knew that that they were kind they of they had idiot. bad taste. And then, but it's hard to distinguish. For a long time, I when a teacher was mad at me in my head, I'd be like, oh well, whatever. They don't get me, and so I have trouble. I would say age like ten through twenty, knowing what was an actual opinion I had as opposed to me protecting myself. There's this song that we did in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend called I Could If I Wanted To that I, I actually didn't write that one, but I, I I really identify with it. It's a basically a song about, like, I could get all these if I wanted to. I just don't want to. And that was that was something I definitely did. I would be lazy, partially because I do have elements of ADHD, and I was just talking about it with my psychiatrist yesterday, but also it was fear. I mean, the ultimate fear I had for many years was, what if I try my best and still fail? That is my self-worth, right? And that's a really scary thing, to try your best and fail, but it's the only way you get better at things. So I think for a long time, I just... My resenting authority was me protecting myself so it's hard to tell when really I was right now I have a better sense of who's an idiot and who's not yeah everyone seems like it seemed like an idiot to me at a certain age and now yeah. I've totally been proven wrong. I was never I never allowed myself to be rebellious enough to think that everyone was an idiot you pro- that's why you finished college <laughs> sure I mean fear is really powerful motivator I mean I don't I think that we really underestimate fear of death as like a career motivator. Hmm. I know for me with my career and my art and stuff for a long time I was motivated by this fear of being an old lady on my deathbed and being like I never did the thing, Ugh, you know? Mhm. 
Legacy. I mean, I think sure. a lot of people don't really think about legacy until later in life. And when you're able to leave some kind of print on culture or your industry or even as a teacher in a school, like you have all of as a parent, you know, there's all these different examples of how to how to create a legacy in your life. And I don't know, the sooner you start, the better your chance, the chances are of of having one. It's um, true. I mean, and it's also a question of where do where do, where does, you know, pursuit of happiness, which is healthy and ambition meet because often ambition especially career ambition is seeking outside approval whereas pursuit of happiness should be very internal and so i think it's always a struggle f- to find where what the healthy mix is the word happiness i'm like is happiness overrated like i'm i'm pretty i'm happy but is that like is that the goal is it i'm well, i don't know. i think it's that like, for me it maybe is too existential well i mean like i also think about this a lot because this is what the show is about I'm also right in the middle of starting to write the final season right now and our show ultimately is about pursuit of happiness so it's something that we talk about and think about a lot and I mean then this is where you start getting into spirituality but if you live your life as if this is the life you live and this is it as far as we know and you make the most of it the thing that the first thing that seems to matter is are you happy existence is so unlikely it's so magical that we're here. You might as well enjoy it as long as it doesn't interfere with other people's enjoyment. And mm-hmm. so yeah. it's something that I'm thinking about yeah. right now. Rachel has been diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and OCD and speaks openly about her experiences with mental health in real life and her work. She opened up about why talking about mental health was so important to her. I don't know. I, I've begun to see mental illness and mental health is. is What's preventing you from being happy? So I I don't, my psychiatrist was like, I don't want to pathologize the way you work. But he's like, you you have elements, whatever you call it, of what you would call ADHD. Like I, I need frequent breaks. I get my mind tires out very easily. But it's why when I write, I can sometimes go from A to F. It's because my mind is kind of ping ponging around, you know. So that's not making me unhappy for the most part. Whereas if you have depression or you are dealing with something like borderline personality disorder, there are parts of, you know, borderline and bipolar and everything that make you happy, but what are the parts that are preventing you from being your best self? And I kind of think that's what it ultimately is. And that's why therapists worth their salt and psychiatrists don't really care about the diagnosis. The diagnosis is only a tool to try to get you to feel good. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I've Googled, I've like looked at YouTube videos for BPD, like every last thing mm. you possibly could. I've watched like people give definitions of those things. Are you in therapy? I'm in therapy. I see a psychiatrist yeah. and he's finally put me on like something that isn't like, you know, I always thought I was depressed and maybe I'm, I've been, I've de- definitely been de- depressed at times or like yeah. I've ended up more in like the mood category, mm. which like I never really thought of. And I'm not like bipolar as far as I know, mm. but, and I don't have like manic episodes or sure. anything like that, but there's certainly like small symptom or small, like, you know, indications of that, that like, yeah, I'm being, being treated differently now for the first time, 34 years old. Do you feel better? I do. Great. I do. Yeah. It's scary because there's so many people out there that are will- like willy nilly willing to just like hand you whatever drug is closest or, you know, in in greatest supply or who's 
you know, manufacturer they have a better relationship with or whatever. That's also very, I agree. That's very scary. I mean, I found out, does your psychiatrist do talk therapy too? I'm switching therapists now. I'm going to go see someone who does that. Okay. My psychiatrist is more like, I think he's more like clinical and we talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my psychiatrist is talk therapy with prescriptions. I have since found out that that's actually pretty rare because if you're going to maximize profit, you're going to do a little talk therapy, but but you make the money from prescribing and, and also mm. seeing a lot of patients. And so psychiatrist, psychiatry, from what he says, has has gone more into much more of a like, what can I prescribe to help you feel better? He has a much more interesting holistic is is the best word I can think of of um he prescribes things, but it's much more talk therapy is just as important. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's old school and getting more and more rare, which I think is terrible. That's weird. It's so dangerous because it's the whole it's the whole package. Like I'm I'm on a low dose of Prozac. We only came to that conclusion from, you know, a couple months of talking things out and okay, well, what might be the problem? Tell me about your sleeping. Tell me about X, Y, Z, you know? And so the idea of your mental health being separate from general wellness is very scary to me. Yeah, people like to put human experience in silos. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Work and personal life and, you know, relationships or like all these other, you know, I think about all these, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. really what we're trying to do here at Girlboss is like integrate those things because it's not about like balance or just balance assumes that these things are on different ends of the spectrum and everything's on a spectrum and everything's um, like interrelated or intersectional it's really i've been thinking about this a lot because a lot of my friends are having kids and my show's about to end and it's the question of okay do i want kids when and i'm erring on the side of of yes and but the thing (laughs) is there's actually never having kids is is very impractical on the surface i mean it's it's very it it only costs you money and effort and the return you get is mostly something intangible which is love and a legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you work hard at this job and you get money. And just the idea that there's never a right time is so scary. I think welcoming that chaos into your life, especially as, as someone who's like achieved some, you know, some understanding of like your career and there are certain things that you hold as true and you can navigate the adult world like pretty well because you've like done it before like you're just like asking for life to like bitch slap you and I think I think that's why you do it because it just like takes the control completely out of your hands which doesn't really happen to me (laughs) very often I mean it's happened to me in like great magnitude at times sure but day to day like it doesn't really feel like that and I think it just like just change it 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 must be a humbling experience I'm you know yeah sure um and that's something I'm kicking around too so were you always into writing music like as a kid were you like tap dancing around the house like were were you yeah yeah okay always wow does that run in your family yeah my mom was born with perfect pitch and started playing piano when she was quite young and majored in music and then my grandfather was an amateur theater director performer and stand-up comedian I say amateur like it was all unpaid community theater he sold technical manuals for his day job and so it was very Science-y, math-y in his day job and then had this completely artistic wow. passion. And so they grew, my mom grew up playing piano for him at parties and small community functions. And then when I got, when it, 
when they realized that I had this bug, my grandpa encouraged me and he would teach me songs. And then my mom started playing piano for me. So that is definitely from my mom's side. We have so much more with Rachel Bloom coming up, but first, let's talk about Quip. Yep, that's Quip, Q-U-I-P, and it's the cutest name for a toothbrush you've ever heard. Brushing your teeth is so important to your health. You know that, I know that, and Quip knows that, and that's why they've combined dentistry and design to make a beautiful and better electric toothbrush. So it's a super slim toothbrush, and it's super simple because it has guiding pulses that alert you when to switch sides, so you know you're brushing your teeth just the right amount of time. It comes with a mount, and it suctions directly to your mirror and unsticks, and the part that unsticks serves as a cover, like a hygienic cover, for when you travel, so you don't have to have like a separate, crazy, disgusting, dirty thing that you have your toothbrush rattled around, which is what I did until I got my quip and their subscription plan refreshes your brush which is easy to forget to do on a dentist recommended schedule so you get a new brush head every three months for just five dollars including free shipping worldwide I mean if that doesn't convince you quip was named one of time magazine's best inventions of the year so try it for yourself and figure out why and we have a special offer for you Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com, that's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash girlboss right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash girlboss. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash girlboss. We're going to continue with Rachel in just a minute, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about ShipStation. ShipStation, our old friend who ships everything new. If you don't know what ShipStation is, it's a fast and easy way to manage and ship your orders all from one place, whether you're on your desktop, laptop, mobile phone. ShipStation comes with you and integrates into all the popular selling channels. So eBay, Etsy, Squarespace, WooCommerce, Shopify, You can use ShipStation to bring all of them into one simple interface. And they create shipping labels using UPS, FedEx, USPS, wherever a label is. ShipStation can print it and they'll get you the best rates. So with ShipStation, you'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, you can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our promo code GIRLBOSS. I think you know how to spell that. That's ShipStation.com, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. And before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com, enter GIRLBOSS. ShipStation, make Make ship ship happen. happen. 